Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Lynn S., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. Today is Wednesday, May the 20th, 2020, and we are reading from the big book on page 157, the chapter of Vision for You, the fifth paragraph, The Man in the Bed. Today's readers are 12 Steps, Javi K., 12 Traditions, Esther F., and readers of the text, Larry K., Lynn F., and Janice P. M. The reference numbers for Tuesday, May the 19th, the 7 a.m. meeting, 14648, and the 10 a.m. meeting, 14649. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery to the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Javi K. to read the 12 steps. Please go ahead, Javi. Hi, good morning, Lynn. Good morning, everyone. My name is Javi K. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Brooklyn, New York. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, excuse me, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10, continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12, having had a spiritual awakening As the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters 
and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you and have a wonderful day. Thank you, Javi K. And Esther F. will read the 12 traditions. Good morning, Esther. Good morning. Hi, it's Esther F., a compulsive, a recovered compulsive overeater from Cleveland, Ohio. The 12 traditions. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me do service. Have a great day, everybody, and I pass. Thank you, Esther S. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we're in the chapter of Vision for You, page 157, the fifth paragraph, The Man in the Bed. Larry Kay, would you read for us, please? Oh, thanks, Lynn. There, some be, there must be some mistake. This is Janice P.M., recovered Boston Red Sox fan. Okay. I just wanted to say that. Uh, the Man in the Bed was told of the acute poisoning from which he suffered, how it deteriorates the body of of an alcoholic and warps his mind. There was much talk about the mental state uh, preceding the first drink. Okay, so, um, you know, I notice how simply they're laying out the twofold nature of the disease for this, uh, (laughs) this sort of reluctant newcomer. 
Bill Dotson, right? Bill Dotson is told of the acute poisoning from which he suffered. Now, for a substance to be considered um, poisonous, it, it must be capable of causing uh, illness when ingested. And when I began to lose my, my privilege of ingesting, you know, sugary dessert items and other, you know, seemingly benign foods, believe me, doctors told me I was poisoning my system. You know, my, my cholesterol was out of control. The fat around my internal organs was affecting their ability to function. Um, I was pre-diabetic. My musculoskeletal system could not support the weight that I was carrying around. And just like Bill Dotson, I didn't live in a bubble. You know, just, just as I couldn't stop from poisoning my physical body, I also couldn't stop from eventually poisoning uh, the relationships with nearly everyone I came into contact with. So, you know, let's not fool ourselves. This poison doesn't stay neatly secure in, in our bodies. It, 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 it sprays others. I, I was like... Uh, like Kemlon or, or True Green, I was I was spraying you with my poison, whether it was raining or sunny. I'm I'm, I'm spraying you. See, we learned of the allergy of the body as well. This was clearly defined in the doctor's opinion. In the doctor's opinion, it says we believe, and so suggested a few years ago, that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy. Right, gives rise to the craving. There's no safe amount of my alcoholic substance ever and being subjected to a, a substance that's poisonous will not only deteriorate my physical body see over time it will it will in fact warp my mind as well i can't stop once i ingest the poison due to the allergy and i can't stop from starting due to the twist of the mind so what do we do you know we we try i tried to marshal my own willpower and sorry that that's not going to work there was absolutely no way out now, Bill and Dr. Bob, they explained to, to the man in the bed here, Bill D., that when he ingested alcohol into his system, he experienced a physical reaction that was different than normal folks. In other words, the, the normal drinker was not biologically mandated at certain times to crave more alcohol. They, they didn't experience the phenomenon of craving. Not so with us, the, the hopeless, compulsive overeater. We are biologically mandated to eat our foods. And then, um, just wrapping up here, Lynn, Bill and Bob began to talk about the state of mind preceding the first drink. And the chapter more about alcoholism is largely devoted to impressing upon us the state of mind that precedes taking the first drink. On page 34, it says, there was a tremendous urge to cease forever, yet we found it impossible. This is the baffling feature of alcoholism as we know it, this utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. So, you know, Bill Dot, had Bill Dotson not accepted this explanation of the problem and the solution and the, and the manner in which to bring the solution to light, we wouldn't be talking about him. Yet at his death, he had not had a drink in more than 19 years. His date of sobriety was the date he entered Akron's City Hospital, June 26, 1935. And I'm grateful for pioneers like him because uh, I don't think I'd be alive if it wasn't for these pioneers. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Lynn. Thank you, Larry Kay. The floor is now open for sharing on what we just read. Although we value your experience, we ask that you limit your share to every three days in order that others might share their experience too. So for us, that means if you shared on Monday or Tuesday of this week, please step back 
and let others have their turn. And please say your name just once. It does help me hear you. Who would like to share? Do L. T. Stephen G. Sandy S. Lynn F. Christina J. Great. Okay. Thank you, everybody. I have our lineup. Let me tell you who I heard. Do L. Nancy T. Stephen G. Sandy S. Lynn F. and Christina J. Please go ahead, do. Good morning. This is Duell, Recover Compulsive Overeater from New York. Thank you so much for your service. Um, yeah, I see here that, um, you know, when Bill W. got the solution, I mean, the problem, excuse me, the problem from Dr. Silkworth, he got the grave nature of the disease. And later he was introduced to the Oscar group, which he got the solution. And he put this together. And now he went to Dr. Bob and he gave him the, the grave nature of the illness. He gave him through his experience, strength and hope. Um, and Dr. Bob had already the solution, but he did not know what was the problem. And here it is, um, they're introducing the problem to this man, Bill, Bill D. And, and they're telling them about the acute poisoning that he suffers and his body and mind. It's not like in OA where you hear it's a threefold disease. Here saying no, it's a twofold disease. It's the body and the mind that we're going to address. And they're, they're giving them, you know, the exact nature of that, right? Um, and if you go to doctor, um, doctor's opinion, it tells you exactly what it is, right? You have an allergy of the body. Uh, it needs to be addressed first. The body needs to, it's imperative that a man's brain be clear before he is approached to accept what we have to offer, which is a spiritual solution. And that ent entails entire abstinence. And one of the things that I have heard um, in program when we come to OA, people say, I'm practicing abstinence. And I truly believe when people say I'm practicing abstinence, I believe them 100%. But are they practicing entire abstinence? That's the question. That's the debate that we have, right? Do we practice abstinence or do we practice entire abstinence? Well, this guy, he got the truth about his problem. He was saying, if you are alcoholic and these are the things that are poisoning you, you need to do this 100%. You can't do this 99.9%. You know, if you leave that 0.1%, you're still not going to get this. So people come into program and they start negotiating, which, which is like, do I do this 100% or do I just, you know, do it half measures or do I do it 75%? Do I do it 90%? It has to be 100%, right? And then they talked about what is the mental, right? What precedes them to go back to those foods? What precedes them to go back to that drink? For us, it's food, right? You know, what is our mental state? Why can't we get this? So the chapters are designed to help you to break through that self-deception and experimentation that we constantly, constantly practice in program. And one of the things, and I'll wrap it up with this, one of the things I heard over the weekend and even during this week is you have to have willingness and you have to have 
um, uh, actions, willingness and actions. That's to take step one. And this guy was desperate enough to take that step because he was willing and he took the actions. And that's all you need to take step one with that I pass. Thank you, Duel. Nancy T, it's your turn, followed by Stephen G. Please go ahead, Nancy. Thank you so much. Good morning, everybody. Nancy T, recovered compulsive overeater in Lewiston, Idaho this morning. Um, I Like Larry said when he opened with this paragraph, this these two sentences in this paragraph talk about both aspects of the disease, the acute poisoning of our body and the mental state that precedes the first bite. Um, so poison, you know, when I if I ingest poison, it's going to, one of two things is going to happen. I'm either going to get extremely ill or I, it could be fatal. I could die from it. And this is talking about acute poisoning. So acute, severe in effect. So for me, I believe it would be fatal. And it's not a quick death. I, I believe it would be a slow, hellish death. But that's what happens if I ingest the poisoning of the body is when I ingest those substances to which I'm allergic to. So I needed to have a recovered person in the doctor's opinion when I first got started help me to define what entire abstinence means to me that Du just talked about. It has to be entire abstinence. I cannot ingest any substance which is going to trigger that physical craving for the food. My body will just demand that I have it if I'm ingesting it. So I have to be clear on what entire abstinence means for me. But it, the greater aspect of the disease that we've learned about in the previous chapters and the previous pages many times, my main problem centers in my mind. And that's because, like my friend Harlan always says, I never do anything without thinking about it first. So for me, what did, the, what did that thinking look like? Well, it looked like, oh, I think I'll eat out. And deep down I'm going, because I get a little extra when I eat out. If that's my motive for eating out, I'm in deep doo-doo. My motive for going out nowadays generally reflects around being of service to somebody, fellowshipping with my family, wanting quality time with my family. My mom loves to eat out. So sometimes it'll be just so I can do something with her that she loves to do. If ever my thought is because I might get a little extra, then I'm in trouble. Um, for me, if I spend money compulsively, it triggers the obsession. I don't know why those two things go hand in hand for me, my compulsive eating and my compulsive spending. I've got to abstain from both. Um, just, oh, a little extra won't hurt. You know, if I'm preparing a meal and I normally get, let's say, four ounces of protein, I think, oh, it's, you know, it's five and a half ounces. What's an ounce and a half? That kind of thinking, anything, um, that kind of thinking, and what's the danger in it? It shuts me off from the sunlight of the spirit. If I'm obsessing about something, I'm not free to know and seek God's will for me. So the only solution for the poisoning of the body is entire abstinence. And what I've learned is the only solution for the obsession of the mind is a spiritual experience. And the only way I can get that spiritual experience is by thoroughly working the 12 steps to the best of my ability and then living daily in 10, 11, and 12. The first thing I do every day is connect with my higher power and surrender to him each and every day. That's my only hope. Thank you so much for allowing me to share. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you, Nancy T. 
Stephen G., it's your turn, followed by Sandy S. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning, Lynn. Thanks for your service this morning. This is Stephen G., a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto. The man in the bed was told of the acute poisoning from which he suffered. You know, I was I started in the OA program in, I think, 2009. And um, I didn't come into the vision for you probably about three, until about three years ago. And it really revolutionized the way that I understood this disease. And it was important for me to fully understand it, to be able to truly recover. And this, this description of this person being told, i.e., the person who has recovered, who has the same disease, is explaining the disease to him, and that's basically what a vision for you did for me to explain things in simple terms, which actually it's quite simple. You know, this twofold illness, the allergy of the body, which I didn't really know. I sort of vaguely understood what my trigger foods, if you will, were, but I didn't truly grasp the concept of the allergy of the body and the phenomenon of craving. And when I did, it really revolutionized things. And then I was really able to define what were the things that were really producing this phenomenon of craving and what would the entire absence look like. And then the second part was this mental obsession. As part of the step one process, uh, I made a graph, a chart of all my weights since I was 16 up until, you know, when I came into the program when I was 39. And, and um, that's crazy that I was able to remember them, but the ups and downs, the ups and downs, the ups and downs. And I could see very clearly the number of times the mental obsession had been in action. And it was literally, I mean, I'm sure it's hundreds of times, but of course I couldn't see that myself. I had to have somebody explain to me that that was happening and explain that the reason why this is happening in the mental state preceding that first bite was because I suffer, as somebody said in the program over and over, from the buildup of normal human emotion, and I need a spiritual solution with which to deal with that. And then I began to work the program and do steps and follow the big book as I'd never done before. And then I've got uh, the results to show from that. So uh, I'm very grateful. But if, it, if another sufferer hadn't explained, did not explain that to me in such simple terms, simple, the problem when you explain it like that is simple, but its ramifications are that I basically had a death sentence and it was important for me to know that. And then the true willingness for entire abstinence and the true willingness for truly working the 12-step program as it's defined in the big book uh, came to me. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen G. Sandy S., it's your turn, followed by Lynn S. Please go ahead, Sandy. Good morning. This is Sandy S. from Oklahoma City. I'd like to say good morning to all of my fellows out there, and thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for those who have done service this morning. This particular paragraph really strikes me, and the idea that sugar was such a poisonous and food such a poisonous, uh, baffling uh, part of my life, particularly sugar, I have now been um, sober, I'm going to use that term, for 13 months now. And the difference that it had made, the lack of 
of sugar in my life from the thoughts, the processes, the things that I did. My body was filled truly with, with poison. It was unbelievable. But since I have started this journey of staying sober, uh, I have come off of five different medications. Uh, my thoughts are so much clearer. My thinking is so much clearer. I am uh, definitely living in and basking in the glow of a better personality towards individuals and people. Um, but I stay on guard because all I know is that it takes just one slip, one drink, one bite of that thing that just ruined my life forever and ever. Sugar, it was, it, it's hard. And so I stay on guard uh, with it daily, uh, watching the steps. I think before I eat uh, and I don't go where I know I may very well be tempted. An alcoholic doesn't have any business in a bar. I really don't have any business at the buffet or at a restaurant at this point in time. Um, my life has changed to the point where if I don't cook it, I'm not eating it. And that's just the way for me to do my program. And so I am grateful for the many, many spiritual experiences that I've had. It has enriched my life so. And um, it is allowing me to assist in taking the message of OA throughout wherever it is that I travel and I may go. And so for that, I am exceptionally grateful. I'm grateful for the big book. Um, I carry the big book in my Bible cover uh, at this point in time in my life, and I just absolutely love that fact. But I'd like to thank all of those uh, who may be listening this morning who played a part in uh, my life when I first came aboard as uh, an OA member, as a um, compulsive overeater, because I've been one all of my life. My baby pictures and the stories of me as a little girl and uh, the the birthday parties and things of that nature is something else. But with that, I'm going to wrap up. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Sandy S. Lynn F., it's your turn, followed by Christina J. Please go ahead, Lynn. Good morning, everyone. This is Lynn F., recovered in Pennsylvania. And as I read this um passage, I'm curious as to the specific details of what acute poisoning looks like. And, um, and so in preparation, I just did a quick Google. And here are some of the symptoms. Blackout, dehydration, amnesia, mental confusion, nausea, aggression, lack of restraint, depression, euphoria, I have experienced those things ad nauseum in my days of compulsive eating. Um, it also deteriorated my body to the point of weighing 265 pounds on a five foot four frame. And the thing that was so powerful about this passage that it brought me back to the very first OA meeting I attended in um, November of uh, 2006. And after the meeting, two women stayed um, to, to do a newcomer's meeting. 
and they told me about their um, their malady as well as their recovery, and it terrified me to the point of leaving OA at that time. I couldn't stay. I couldn't hear the message of recovery. Um, I couldn't stay in that opened room because I was so riddled with um, my own diseased thinking, my own mental confusion, my own depression, my own euphoria, all those things that came from eating that I couldn't understand how sugar had anything to do with it, despite what they were telling me, or that, um, you know, eating a food plan or eating or coming to meetings. I just couldn't get it. Just give me my materials. Let me pay for the meeting and I'll come back when I'm ready. You know, I really just wanted a different way, a pay and way program. Here's the problem. Once you hear about recovery, once the seeds planted, you're screwed. Your compulsive eating is done. Even if you continue to compulsively overeat, you're just ruined. I was ruined. Um, I it, the idea was burned into me that I could recover. I just wasn't ready. Um, it did come back to me. I did come. Thank you, God. And it wasn't too much longer that I did come in and I worked the program. So once again, uh, right here, thank God that the men here in the story that we're learning about uh, did not base. Um, I'm step one on their step 12. That's all I got. Thank you. And I'll pass. Thank you, Lynn F. Christina J., please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Christina J. here in the state of Washington. Um, I've been waiting to share because this paragraph has been um, the one that finally got me to understand step one. Um, I just couldn't understand the total powerlessness, powerless over food, and my life is unmanageable. Uh, I had a brain that kept tricking me. There was much talk about the mental state preceding the first drink. Autopilot numb. I'm a robot. I'm a deer in the headlights. It's almost like a blackout, a shadow out, desperation of a ravenous shark who smells blood. Nothing was going to stop me. I have had much acute poisoning from which I've suffered. I'm still suffering. I still have conditions. Did it stop me? No. I thought it was going to stop me. The last time it happened, it didn't stop me. A few days after I felt better, I was thinking about the food again. I have deteriorated quite a bit. My mind is warped from this stuff. And the warped mind leads me to the next bite. Uh, It leads me to standing in front of the refrigerator or running to the store from the office, shaking with desperation with that autopilot numb, that deer in the headlights, that robot feeling, with this feeling of a complete restless irritation, this uncomfortableness that I something's not right, a very strange, restless, physical feeling. I have to be, as it says on all these paragraphs, none too promising. In fact, I have to, if I really want to get it, I have to have no promise at all. I have to be a goner, hopeless, very, very afraid. I have to know what powerlessness really means. I have to know that I have no choice because sugar is my choice of no choice. I have to have no way out. 
I have to have tried everything. I have to have extreme, unbearable isolation and loneliness of sitting in the car or the couch or on my bed or wherever before I'm finally before I finally realize. And if I'm lucky enough to have God's grace, if I'm not ready, I won't get it. I have to finally raise the white flag and surrender. And the last time I went out, I was a deer in the headlights. And it scared the shit out of me because I was having a good, good week. And before I knew it, I was at the store. What the hell is that? That's a person who hasn't gotten it yet. And I'm not judging anyone else. I'm talking about myself. I have to accept that full powerlessness. I can't control this thing, and it's going to control me. It's going to take me where it wants to take me, which is right to death, right to horrible sicknesses, diabetes, um, all kinds of other things that will happen, extreme obesity, um, loneliness, like I talked about earlier, and the isolation. Time, please. I'm going to finish up. We have a way out. It's right here in these rooms this private room where we get to share our feelings and our recovery and be honest. So thank you for allowing me to share, and I feel so grateful that I can be honest with all of you in my recovery. I pass. Thank you, Christina J. For those of us who came on the meeting a little bit later, we are on page 157, the chapter of Vision for You, in the fifth paragraph, The Man in the Bed. The line is now open for sharing on what we just read. Although we value your experience, we ask that you limit your share to every three days in order that others might share their experience too. So for us, that means if you shared on Monday or Tuesday, please step back and let others have their turn. And please say your name just once. It helps me hear you. Who would like to share? Jolene D. I heard Jolene and there was another voice. Shirley S. Thank you. Can you tell me what page, or not page, what uh, paragraph we're on, please? We're in paragraph number five, the man in the bed. Karen K. Five. I think it's just five. Karen K. Yes, Suri, thank you. I heard you. I have Jolene B, Shirley S, Suri C, Karen J. Who else was there, please? There was Karen K, is in kite. Thank you. Julie E.B.? Thank you, Julie. Julie E.B., I have one more. Kelly S. Perfect. Thank you very much. Okay, I have Jolene B., Shirley S., Surrey C., Karen K., Julie E.B., and Kelly S. Jolene B., please go ahead. Good morning, everyone. This is Jolene D., D like David, in upstate New York. Good to hear everyone this morning. The man in the bed was told of the acute poisoning was me the first time I had to go into a partial hospital for an eating disorder. The interesting part was is the bills and bobs around me, uh, the message didn't sink in. And the only thing I thought was, I'm going to be here. 
I'm going to do what they say. I'm going to look at all these other sick people around me. And hopefully I'll get better. And I didn't know how, and I didn't know what that meant. And I would go in and I would talk to the counselors and we would dig into my past and we would try to figure this thing out. But I never felt a shift. I only hoped that something would change. And then toward the end of my time there, I realized I wasn't going to. And I thought, well, this is just me. This is just how it's going to be with me. I'm going to continue to overeat. I'm going to continue to binge and purge. Today, I think I'll restrict. Tomorrow, I think it'll be exercise bulimia. This is just who I am. And I chose to accept that because it was easier. The interesting part is one of the counselors there at the partial hospital, years later, I got in touch with. I loved her. She was just one of the greatest people I ever talked to. So when it was time for me to find someone to talk to, I reached back out to her. And she's also a family therapist. And I would say about two or three weeks ago, on the call with her, I was talking to her about my recovery, and she knows I'm doing a 12-step program, and I said to her, if this were in the hospital, the partial hospital that I was in 10 years ago, things would be so much different for so many people, and this intrigued her, and she took notes. I could see her, because we were on Skype, I could see her taking notes on this, and I realized I didn't have experience, strength, and hope. I didn't have people surrounding my bed saying, this is, how it, this is how we recovered. I had people surrounding me saying, if you don't do this, you're not going to recover. And I, now I've had all these light bulb moments as I go through the steps and I, I learn about this process, that it really is about embracing this spiritual journey. And I am so beyond grateful for it. When I first started hearing these calls, I'd hear people say that. I'm so grateful. And I think, why? How? Why? But I was just in the beginning. I was just stepping over step one or stepping over step two. But the truth of the matter is, as someone who's just gone through all 12 steps, that if you don't do it by the book and by the letter and make the choice, the, the conscious choice to just surrender and do these things because you've got no other, you're exhausted from the journey, you're exhausted from years and years of doing everything the wrong way and the hurtful way and the painful way, that there really is a light at the other end of the tunnel. And through the journey, you have so many aha moments. You have painful moments. I've had painful moments. Step four was not a good time. Step nine, oh my God, was not a good time. So I just want to point out, thank you so much, that um, you know, when you have those moments and you're on the bed, that hopefully the folks around you are sharing their experience, strength, and hope because that is the key. Thank you so much. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Jolene D. Shirley S., it's your turn, followed by Surrey C. Please go ahead, Shirley. Hi, this is Shirley S. from Savannah, Georgia. Can I be heard? Yes, thank you. Thank you. Uh, this has been a wonderful meeting for me, and I, uh, I've identified with so, so much that's already been shared, but <clears throat> I guess I just sort of wanted to focus on one of the words that I ended up looking up, warps of the mind. I looked up warp, and it means to distort or cause to distort from the truth fact or true meaning. And for myself, I, my mind was warped for so many years uh, that I was in denial. I could not 
see. I could not see the truth. And it took so long, uh, many, many years before I was able to come to terms with the fact that I was a compulsive overeater and, um, and be able to look at how, how I was all my life. And um, it really wasn't until I came to this program of Vision for You that I was able to see that. And um, in and out of OA uh, many, many years and not ever being able to uh, uh, open my eyes and see this. So uh, I just wanted to um, share about that. Uh, this is my first time sharing and <laughs> And um, I am just incredibly grateful that I found all of you and I found um, this way of life. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Shirley S. Suri C., it's your turn, followed by Karen K. Please go ahead, Suri. Hi, I'm Suri C., a compulsive overeater from Connecticut. I am not recovered, although I am in process. And... It's amazing how this paragraph unpacked it so, and and the people that shared earlier clarified it so beautifully that it's a two-step process that you need to have abstinence first. And it's so funny because I have moments of abstinence and I'm so grateful for those moments because I was so deep in compulsive eating, but more compulsive food behaviors that I heard people talk about like exercise bulimia and I'm like, what is that? Until I did that. I heard people talk about, you know, define um, poison as um, being dehydrated. Did that too. I had to try to figure out abstinence or like my abstinence was going to be, or my, you know, controlling my water to make sure that I took in enough water because I would eat, but I wouldn't drink a whole day. I had this whole process of unpacking it and so many times I've wanted to give up and I've had people tell me, well, you know, you can't be doing this process. Um, you're not going to get the spiritual experience um, fully if you're not abstinence and you need to do the abstinence first and I get it and they're right. I know they're right. I know in my gut they're right. I'm just not there. And so why not just give up? Why not just stop showing up? But I show up each time and I'm still here even though I'm not recovered yet and because I love hearing the recovery on the line. It is people, I'm not in a hospital bed, but it is people coming, you know, it's, it's inviting them into my house, into my room and saying, tell me more because I need to hear this. Because some meetings end with, you know, keep coming back. It works if you, you know, if you work it, so work it, you're worth it. And you know, you have to be hard on yourself and easy on others, but I'm so good at being hard at myself. I need to remember that I'm worth it. And even though I don't have recovery today, I know that I will. And I'm just working and I'm coming back because I'm worth it. So with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Suri C. Karen K., it's your turn, followed by Julie E.B. Please go ahead, Karen. Press star one to unmute. Oh, there Good you morning. are. Can you, there, sorry about that. Yeah, my mute button. Oh, not, we're not going to go into that. Good morning, everybody. I'm Karen. I'm a grateful uh, 
compulsive overeater. Um, the line that sucks out for me the most is there was much to talk about in the mental state preceding the first drink. And for me, um, over this past week, um, I didn't think this one substance wasn't a problem, but what it did, it did something to my mental state. Things were cloudy. My thinking, my thinking was becoming distorted without even knowing it. Um, and I also, with this reading, I've learned that not only what I put in my mouth, it's what I say is my abstinence. What I say to other people, am I being kind to myself? Am I being kind to other people around me? And if I'm, my mind is warped and I am in a state of mental state preceding that first bite, I need to be constantly vigilant around me. And um, I came back to OA last July. I came in when I was 23. And um, it was focused too much on food, too much. The gray sheet was flying around where I am. And I just I got real skinny. And people in my other 12-step program said, you know, really got to keep that drink down. So that gave me permission to starve and to binge and to do other stuff. And, and now... I'm coming into OA, and I'm grateful for Lauren to give me this number because I've listened to your podcast, and there's not very many meetings around in my area. And um, I'm just so grateful that I am much more aware today, and I'm so grateful to OA because it's made all, all my other two fellowships work so much more better. I love you all, and thank you. Thank you, Karen Kay. Julie E.V., it's your turn, followed by Kelly S. Please go ahead, Julie. Hi, this is Julie E.V., gratefully recovered in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And uh, I just wanted to share about a couple of things that stuck out. One, lying in the bed, and I was 300 pounds bed-bound, six medical specialists, and so if I can live recovered for many years, so can you. It was acute poisoning, that means something urgent, but also usually reversible. It poisoned, not only the deteriorate, did my body deteriorate, but it warped my mind. And so these fellows tell us that we have to spend some time on the mental state to proceed the first drink. Seems like putting down the food is the hardest part when you're in the food. But when you're out of the food, then you start to see how many times your mind goes back to trusting the food or yourself or other things. And for me, it's a simple process. It went self-pity, Resentment, food. Self-pity, resentment, food. And it's not something that I can really call other people out, because when they call with problems and you say, oh, that's just self-pity, it's not a very <laughs> patient-tolerant thing to say. But in myself, I have to be relentless. Whenever I say, this is hard for me, this is hard for me, 
this is hard for me. Guess what? I have a new boss. I think it's hard for me. But if I move into self-pity, it wrecks everything around me. Thanks for letting me share. Gratefully recovered today. And I pass. Thank you, Julie E.B. Kelly S., it's your turn. Good morning, Kelly. Press star Hi, one, this, Kelly. Oh, there yes, you are. Yes, here I am. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is Kelly S. from Georgia. Um, I, I think what really resonates with me is, you know, we've said it a few times, just introducing the paragraph, is the man in the bed. And I just think of, you know, how much of my life was spent either in some sort of hangover in the bed, whether it was emotional or alcoholically, whether, you know, in food, you know, the, 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 just the food hangovers, just the, you know, the, you know, the, just the depression and the, the body, you know, deterioration and, and all of that was just, you know, you know, I just, couldn't go anywhere else. That was kind of the end, right? It was kind of the jumping off point for me in multiple occasions. Um, And nobody was there, you know, it was just the desperation of, you know, is it going to ever get any worse than this? And it usually did. And then to find, to hear other people and to be able to identify that it can be better and to see that there were other people that lived like me that felt like me um, and they had found another way out and it really was the, you know, the spiritual light. Um, and, you know, the, it, it, it's just been a true blessing. So, you know, just always when I hear the man in the bed, I think to myself, Oh Lord, how many of us have just been at the, at, at a jumping off point of just being, you know, at the end. So, Thanks for letting me share. Um, been a great program. Thank you. Thank you, Kelly. Yes, we have time for two two-minute shares. Who would like those spots? Fran from New Jersey. Liz, UK. Great, great. We've got Fran and Liz. Fran, please go ahead. Hi, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure being on this meeting. I have to say I love the new rule of not sharing if you've shared in three days. I hear so many new people, and I hear so many wonderful new experiences. I think it's just brought the meetings back to life for me. Um, and it's also a wonderful demonstration of ego, you know, how we how we limit ego in this program. We learn to because... I don't know, sometimes hearing the same people share every day, I would think to myself, you know, the steps are supposed to be about humility. And, you know, none of us has anything that's that important that we have to speak all the time. So I'm just so glad that we do this. It's a demonstration of the program, working the program. Um, And I just wanted to share, I got a lot out of all the shares today and the man in the bed. Um, You know, food isn't that much of an issue for me anymore. I often look to it to escape. Um, For me, it's usually not overeating. It's other behaviors at this point, though it was overeating when I first came in. Because, you know, self-pity and all those other character defects keep me in the bed, so to speak, the virtual bed, where I just don't want to get out and deal with things. And the steps are the only way I know out. And I admire the people who share that they're working it and they're avoiding self-pity. 
and they're just going on with their day because my mind is not my friend. It hasn't been my friend when I was eating. It hasn't been my friend when I've been under eating, and I don't feel like I'm fully recovered because my mind is still just not my friend. I once heard the expression, my mind is an unsafe neighborhood for me to wander around in. And I do get comfort when I think of my higher power and working the steps and hearing all the beautiful shares on the line and how the program keeps observing itself and making sure that it itself doesn't violate the steps. I know that's sort of a funny concept of the program, working the program, but I think this meeting is a demonstration of it. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Fran M. And Liz, you'll be our last share this morning. Could you please give us the initial of your last name? Hi, Liz E. Bristol, UK, um, Impulsive Overeater. Thank you very much to everybody who's sharing. I'm new to this particular fellowship. I've been in OA in a good number of years, and I've been working the steps with an amazing sponsor. And then yesterday, I took that bite. And so this is just such an amazing paragraph. And um, I, can, I rang her this morning and said, I've done this terrible thing. And I said, I should have done this. And I was full of terrible things. And she said, no, you could have done something different. You learn and we'll carry on. And she was just so graceful. And I spoke to somebody else. But this is just so timely. There was so much talk about the mental state preceding the first drink. And it's really, I think it's kind of higher power because it's given me a real live example of what happened yesterday for me to analyze today, to really go back and understand the mental twist in my mind. I had um, I had to give some feedback on a course that I had attended and there were quite a few issues. And I... I thought I'd planned really well to give good feedback along with constructive feedback. But boy, when I came off that call, I felt so horrid inside. I didn't know what to do. And what I didn't do was pick up a phone and talk to a fellow. I carried on with my day feeling really uneasy and ill at ease. Anyway, thank you. Um, I'm learning there is a different way to do this, and I'm learning about the mental twist. So thank you all for being here and doing service. I'll pass. Thank you, Liz E. Thank you to everyone who shared, and thank you to our wonderful Wednesday workforce. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. The share ID for this morning, Wednesday, May the 20th, the 7 a.m. meeting, is 14657. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Lynn F. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Yes, thank you. This is Lynn F. And our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. 
see to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Just waiting. 